0: cock do and welcome to a new episode of Null no Pointers. We're your hosts, Gerald, Mark, and Steven. And today we are going to talk about all about responsive mobile design. Here we go. So before we talk about that sweet, sweet, responsive mobile design, because, you know, we are all about mobile and design, we are going to talk a little bit about two things I want to hear from Steven. Have you got that Xbox yet?
1: Oh, yes, yes, Steven, tell us. Yes, I have it. Wow. It took over it. a week since we last talked about oh, this. Oh my but gosh. I I got it. Yeah. Yeah. The, so okay. so
2: how did it happen? Did you rob
0: someone? Did you no. steal it? Did you buy well, it? Well, I'm I'm not seeing any but I lost an Xbox. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> huh? ah, coming to the truth.
1: And he was he was visiting here yesterday, so
0: I don't know. Oh. I don't know what happened. I will
1: refrain from any comment, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh it pretty much I think last pod I spoke about having a Telegram bot running that was monitoring stock across the Netherlands, basically. And I saw one pop up in a store near here where they had, I think, a a delivery of five Xboxes or something. And yeah, basically was really quick on the mouse and keyboard action online and got it, basically. And I think a few minutes later, they were all sold out again everywhere. So yeah i sniped it i guess is how you call it
2: i think that's where these action ego shooter
1: training sessions in your
2: youth really come in handy just grab that xbox real quick
1: yes and then the wife was the wife was so kind to pick it up so Mm. that was yeah i already played some games in in stark contrast to gerald basically (laughs) (laughs) and moving on um
0: is anyone else doing anyone else i'm not doing it actually but is anyone doing the advent of code because i i think in december there's always like a lot of initiatives like i think even like before december you have the month of serverless and steven once hosted a Xamarin UI July, that was it. Um, so, you know, we have months for everything now. And of course, in December is always a good month because we are counting down till Christmas, till New Year's when 2020 is finally over. So each day we're going to do something that we don't do every day, which is write even more code.
2: I, I am actually, and I'm really enjoying it. I I didn't think I would have so much fun solving code riddles. And I've been following along now since uh, I think I started at day three, but I'm now up to date. So today's day seven, obviously, looking into the calendar when we're recording this. And yeah, it's it's for me, I don't, I don't know, it's great fun. I mean, there are other coding puzzles that you can get out there. There's Project Euler and stuff like that, where you just go ahead, do your challenges, and then you uh one thing that i really like about it is you learn the the aspects of a programming language or the framework to be honest uh what i tried out uh was um i i was like so yeah proud of myself to solving all those riddles and i thought well i, I might just peek you know i just just take a little peek how others are solving it and i did it like in i actually even did them in f sharp i'm just trying to get a bit better into in the language and then i I Google some solutions, and you go into the GitHub project, and I used fifty lines of code, and the other guy did it in fifteen lines of code, and it's even more readable than what I did. So, yeah, I think I think I still got some way of improvements, yeah, there. But uh, so, still, great fun. And uh, on on the flip side, I learned a lot while solving it, and then reading through some other solutions. So that's that's always nice. So uh, definitely a shout out to the Advent of Code, and. If you haven't done it so far, good news is per day you get two riddles, so the the puzzle is always in two parts, and it's been going on since 2015. So that means you get five years of 25 days times two, 250 riddles to solve there. You're welcome. Wow,
0: that is uh,
1: busy, busy, busy. Yeah. The only Advent thing I'm doing is just eating chocolate every day, basically. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> I've been I've been considering a beer Advent or something like that, but you know, code is good oh. too. Code is good. D- did too. you once did you once do one of those one of those beer Advent calendars? Or I did not. So I think we mentioned er, that a friend of Stephen and and my mutual friend um, had started his own little beer company thing. So there's lots of beer, and we also have a support group. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds heavier than it is, uh, which is more the support for his shop. So, but well, anyway, drifting off. Um, and the, the, I think a couple of people there mentioned that they were not too great because a lot of like the the vendors try to, um, you know, put all their beer that they don't get sold. Um, so they're not too great. They're stick them in the advent and, you know, there you go. So
1: I didn't really do it. Okay, Steven? ever nope. did a beer cleaner. no nope. not yet i'm, I'm well, I not got... that into beer drinking yet i only started a few years <laughs> ago so I need to take <laughs> I this started slow. a few years ago yeah he's still so young Stephen. he's still yeah, so young i'm a kid yeah
2: no <laughs> yeah no i i remember getting once one and yeah i don't know it's uh, at the beginning you're like really happy every day a new beer and then there comes to that one day where you just think, "Oh my god, not to ten- drink another beer today! <laughs> I can't, I can't drink another beer today." Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you hear of people they get a whiskey calendar.
0: You just go like, "Wow, that's <laughs> that's even worse." That's pro. That's yeah. pro. Yeah. And then you think, let's skip a day, another day. Let's wait till the weekend. And then suddenly you have to drink five.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it catches up.
0: Oh my gosh! But I just thought we were going over time here. Not forget responsive designs. We're not talking about that, but. Mark, you also did a session on the MonkeyConf. We both virtually flew to Spain to Javier from the Xamarin.Forms team, and we both did a session, not in Spanish because that would be horrible, but we did a session in virtual Madrid, I think he's in.
2: Yeah, the virtual food was great. The people virtual were also really kind. But yeah, I, I really hope that someday we will be managing to fly again somewhere and we could all meet down there in madrid in person and yeah i, I thought it was a real fun event uh, the sessions are have been i think up now all uploaded to yep. youtube so if you missed it you can catch it if your spanish is better than mine which is literally non-existent there are even some sessions for you to listener especially done in spanish uh i from the pictures they looked really interesting uh, yeah, maybe maybe one day when my Spanish gets better, I'll even understand what they were talking about. But yeah, definitely check that out.
0: Yeah, I think you did a session because that's why I remembered on something F sharp thingies.
2: Yes, on fabulous.
0: Well, there we go. And I did a session together with Javier himself about the Xamarin Community Toolkit, on which we also did an episode. So um, go find that. And of course, we will link all the MonkeyConf sessions. Well, not all of them, just one link to all the sessions in the show notes, um, so you can find them right here. Okay, so let's make a nice segue. The monkeyconf could be viewed on YouTube, which is a nice responsive website, and also works on mobile. So let's talk about responsive
1: mobile design. That's it? Yeah. I mean... What else
0: do you need? This is so smooth.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we we do segues like no other podcast. Yeah, Hmm. I mean...
0: I mean, this no one, no one even had a clue what was happening. Flawless. Okay, so responsive mobile design. Why should we do it? I think the name already gives it away a little bit. Um, if you're on mobile and and you have these different devices, mobile is you know a lot of things these days. It's your phone, it's a tablet, it's a foldable phone which can fold out into a tablet. Uh, even you'd some desktops. Well, they're not desktops, but they are more like laptops. You can also use underway um so a lot of screens um and and you know beyond the mobile devices you have watches tv screens all kinds of form factors and different things that is basically what the responsive mobile design is all about
1: i would think yeah you have uh like you said all sorts of idioms and especially on on something like if you're doing uwp that runs also on laptop desktops. so that's just really big monitors even that you're targeting and there's obviously a few ways you can go about building something like that and that's either to make a screen for each of these different resolutions but you'll never really be done probably Um, so what most people do is they uh, start doing something that is responsive design basically which is one screen that adapts to different sizes and on the web this this is probably most well known through bootstrap which is a css html javascript blah 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 framework that basically allows you to divide your entire screen into a grid of 12, I think it is. Um, And then you can tell different elements that they're either four units out of those 12 or it it basically makes it all relative to one another, right? So if you scale it down, everything scales relatively. And I think on mobile, a similar approach applies. It's not exactly a grid with 12 columns or something, Um, but you can do it in, in our case when using Xamarin through things like the horizontal options or the vertical options, um, which allows you to fill or center or align things on the screen. And you obviously also have the, the grid control, which is your 100% container, I guess, because it's always the width of the screen. So if you position elements within that, it, it typically scales quite nicely already, actually, out of the box.
2: Yeah, um, that that's true. I think one of the challenges uh, when, when you're faced with having to create a responsive design is often that you have these mean customers. I know they're not mean, but they come along and they say, Hey, we want this really great mobile app and we need, and we need it native because of some technical reason, because you can't do it in the web uh, or because mobile is the better choice or because they prefer it, whatever that may be. And then they come along and say, Hey, you know, since we now got this on this phone, can we also have it on this, same operating system running a tablet, and then you go like into the thing, like, well, how good does it have to look? Which is the primary using device. I mean, you said, Stephen, if you take a grid and we design that like really great for a mobile phone factor, and then we just put it onto the tablet, it will work. I mean, the the screen size it will scale up, but you'll have a lot of dead space often because on the phone you got you, the finger is quite big compared to the screen, and if you put it onto a tablet, so the finger gets smaller compared to the screen i'm doing really great things here right uh so uh what i'm trying to say is you you probably don't want to have exactly the same layout as you do for a mobile when you go to a tablet and if you then take it even to the bigger extreme uh, which i've never been faced in person uh saying you need to take that mobile app onto a tv screen because we can now write mobile apps that run on TVs. I think we've already mentioned this before on the show. You can buy a Samsung TV. You can write a Xamarin Forms app running on Tizen, install it on your nice, crisp, big LED screen in, in your living room or in our recording studio and, and have a blast looking at it. And I would just guess that taking that mobile layout probably will not work great on a TV screen
0: yeah i remember you know when i just started with the whole xamarin stuff then it was like oh i can build this apps for a phone cool and they they, just without doing anything they run on an ipad so you have the simulator and you just click click and boom it runs on an ipad and i remember having you know like the list view um that was um looking great on your mobile phone but you know a full screen list view on an ipad not looking that great so you know um it's it's depending on what you do with the design, of course, but that is really where you want to have that responsive design to um, go about your space in a smarter way, uh, making it look more nicely, depending on how you look at it. Um, And actually, it's funny that you mentioned it. uh, It was a project that I was working on with uh, Stephen at some point. Um, And I don't know if it was actually a uh, assignment from the customer, which is it was probably not. It was probably just a Friday afternoon and we were trying out fun stuff um and we suddenly realized that we were having a android tv in our office so it, you know it doesn't even have to be the samsung tizen which is um kind of like another platform in itself but you know you now have tvs which run on android which is basically just another android form factor and you can just deploy your android app to that device um so that's what we did and it was kind of funny because you know you hang a tv in like landscape mode Uh, But we had pinned the app in portrait mode, so that was fun. So it was like tilted by 90 degrees. So we had to, well, we were in the studio here, so we can see our heads tilt now, but you have to like see, imagine now that we are all tilting our heads. So you have to look at it that way. And also the other fun challenge then is suddenly, this is not at all about responsive design. Well, it kind of is because everything looks huge on a, I don't know, 50, 60 inch TV. but also it it was not that bad actually because we had a nice design but the other thing that was there is like um when mark goes off telling about our fingers getting smaller then your fingers are tiny and you suddenly have to use a um remote control you know and that was something that didn't work um and i didn't know at the time how to make it work so to overcome that and actually go see what was beyond the login screen, I wrote a automated UI test, which, you know, clicked the button and did the thing, which uh, took us through the app uh, so we could see what it looked like for no reason because no one wanted to run that app on a TV. But, you know, it's something that you could do. But, yeah, so those those are all form factors that you uh, can use and uh, depending on your requirements or the needs uh, probably of your customer or maybe you're creating a project for yourself, who knows. uh, That's all things that you want to consider, like, what type of devices this is going to run on, and how do I want it to look like on those devices. Um, and it's kind of funny, right? If you think about it, in another episode, I don't know if we actually talked about that, but Apple, together with like the M1 and the ARM chips and whatever, it's now possible to run actual iOS and iPad apps, so iOS apps basically, on your Mac, which is working pretty well, I think, uh, from the, the messages I'm seeing across the internet. Uh, so it's kind of funny that that these vendors are still looking for ways to combine all these things, because I also remember like with Windows 8, that's kind of like what Microsoft tried to do to, you know, make a hybrid operating system, which has like no small start menu anymore, but the start menu would be full screen and you could um, um, leverage that with your fingers or a stylus or whatever. And um, I think that mode is still available to switch between tablet and desktop, so They're still trying to combine those things. Is that something you remember as well?
2: Yeah, I I remember the time really vividly. I I remember, like, uh, before Windows 8 came out, there were like these blog posts where they said there will be no start menu anymore. And it just went like, what? Like, Windows without a start menu. And then you had like these giant tiles. And I I remember it, it it was always a bit awkward because you had in Windows 8, when you wrote a Windows 8 app, um, they now evolved into be UWP apps, but back in the day, there there was like this thing we developed for touch, and touch means you have to develop for that big finger instead of the tiny pointer. So most apps they ended up to have like these ginormous buttons and ginormous input fields, and everything looked a bit odd if you were used to running your uh, apps on a, on a desktop. And I don't know if the uh, Mac OS. Uh, Way is now better. I personally did not yet get a M1 chip device. Um, if anybody wants to donate one, please reach out to us at null pointers.io. Um But yeah, so I'm I'm really curious if that works out because usually touch is a bit different. Uh, the Targets have to be a bit bigger, so it really works. And yeah, I, I remember in Windows 8, that was a bit, it was not done so nicely, but we have learned since then. And uh, I must say, what I found really interesting is I do not know, but I can actually hook up a Bluetooth mouse to my iPad Mini and work with mouse and keyboard on your iPad. So you might get a bit of a feel if you don't have one of those M1 devices, and it works quite well for the most devices. Uh, I must say, I was quite pleasantly surprised there. Going on about this, I think that brings back a bit the the original question, like. If you set out, I mean, since we're doing mobile development, we don't have the option like Bootstrap, so we can't get a responsive design out of the box. Uh, oftentimes, we either have to do our own or, uh, yeah,
1: how how can we do this, Steven? So I basically just let designers make the designs for me, but they don't implement them, so that that's where that plan falls apart. Typically, um, uh-huh. yes, yeah, it's, it's horrible, but yeah, it's it's like I said already, it's it's a combination of using the existing elements to try and make it work. So already built into Xamarin Forms, you have the master detail page currently, which will be renamed maybe by the time you're listening to this, but that basically already changes its behavior I think based on whether you're on an iPad or a uh, phone because on the iPad it'll create a, a left side that is always collapsed and I think on a phone it, it does something with, with or it's it's not always collapsed it's always expanded I should say um, and on a phone it, it already creates some sort of menu I believe out of it so that that's one of them but the, yeah it's it basically just comes down to knowing what the things do that you get in the box there, there's no real flip this property and it'll magically scale all around i think that the most important thing is to just never or try to avoid at least putting in absolute values for things because yeah you just need to work with percentages or, or things like that if you look at for example the grid column definitions um, you can make percentages work with that normally you'd for example, key in a hundred, and that would be a hundred pixel units or device units, but you could also do star and then another column with two star, which basically means it takes up twice as much as the other one. So that makes you able to percentually decide how much space everything takes up. And yeah, I think that is one of the, the key things is to keep it all relative to one another instead of hard coding actual values. And there's also obviously a few methods already in there that you can handle um, if the size of your device changes or if, God forbid, someone would change the orientation of your app, which is already a nice scenario to make a widescreen version typically. So yeah, there's some some things in there, but it's unfortunately not just toggle a button and it's all responsive. uh it's a lot of work. Well, I think I think the the thing is to say is, or you said it is like most
2: controls out of the box they're already responsive. So if you don't put in the pixels into your uh, grid and into other elements, they will usually respond. So you always have got this relative options with with a lot of the UI controls. And if you want to have a UI that will scale, um, just be sure to go with those relative options and not the absolute options, and it will. It will work. It just might not look as pretty because your button might use up two thirds on your TV screen, which then just will look horrendous because two thirds on the mobile app looked really great. And I think that's where the challenges come in. But when you say pixel perfect, what I always like to think back of is like when you do WinForms apps, I don't know if if you ever had the joy, but usually WinForms are like, back in the day, they were pixel perfect. I haven't done WinForms for so long time. I don't know if that has changed by now but i remember like in the requirements there was the screen resolution on which the app should be deployed on and only they would run and i think we we can no longer really do that i mean if you look in the mobile world there's so many different form factors so many different phone screens you can no longer just say oh i will only support the iphone 6s screen resolution because you're you will be uh, laughed out of the room often and so you you will always have to have those uh relative uh, design techniques uh, on your side, but uh, when you when you think about going from a mobile phone to a tablet, which can quite often be, I think you're you're always a bit challenged. Like, will you use one view layout, and you will just have some uh, state uh, recognition, like, oh no, I'm running on a mobile, and then I will uh, draw my UI a bit differently than I would do on the tablet um or will i make two completely different ui layouts and i will then recognize am i running on a phone or on a tablet and then pick one so if you if it comes down to this do you have any preferences or any uh memories about one approach over the other
0: I don't think I ever did it to actually that extent to actually it was usually something that had to run on a tablet or on a phone and not really both. Well, you know, what you see happening with a lot of enterprise environments is that they also have control over which phones are being purchased for their employees. So, you know, they're just going to say it's going to be the Samsung Galaxy S10, 11, where we at, I don't know, um, or just the iPhone something. And it has to work on that. does it work on anything else. Great. Fine no problem but it has to work on this thing perfectly um uh, so you know that's that's kind of an advantage um and i didn't really have the scenario where you had to do both or all the things um I'm trying to think if i really did but the other thing uh like you mentioned there's definitely multiple options to do the same thing as always it depends Um, But yeah, so you can, you know, uh, check if I think to like definitely the Xamarin paradigm, you can check if you're in like a um, iPad or in a tablet scenario, and you can just say, okay, load all the views which are, you know, prefixed with iPad or something like that, or, um, you know, make decisions based on whatever idiom you're on to load the right views. Uh, That way, you know, for sure that, you know, um, things are not getting drawn or whatever off screen uh, that might take up still memory or or um, cpu cycles or whatever Um, i'm not entirely sure how that works with like the the state managers and that kind of stuff i would assume that it's optimized to also not do that whenever something is not visible that it will not take up like the cpu cycles and memory and that kind of stuff but um, you know if you implement it the wrong way then that might end up Uh, what you are doing, uh, which is not really a performant app because you're doing all kinds of things that are not even on the screen. So uh, that is maybe something that you want to keep in mind. Um, and besides that, yeah, I think it comes down to personal preference, how easy it is to implement, because, you know, if you're going to work with the state managers, that means that you're going to have a lot of like uh, XAML and, and whatnot in your layouts that only will be visible on an iPad or not, but you have to constantly look at it as a developer. So, you know, maybe also your maintainability and readability and that kind of stuff as a developer is important here, but I don't know, Steven, did we actually do a project or did you do a project where you had to
1: do both? I can't remember, to be honest. Um, I I've had customers while we were building or actually had pretty much finished the mobile app for phones, uh, come up to me and say, well, how much effort would it now be to do it for a tablet? And that that question tends to come later, at least in my my experience. But because you didn't, well, you obviously you try to design it as flexible as flexible as possible from the start. But um, it it still can be quite an effort to port an existing app, like if if it has like fifty different pages or something. It it you will have to go through all of them and make it look good on a tablet. That that's basically unavoidable effort that you need to take. But yeah, it it's. I've never had one that said it needs to work on both for the start from the start.
0: It's funny that you say it has to be flexible because in Xamarin, if we just stick to that little piece of technology, you also have the flex view since a little while, uh, which basically is something that is also known in the HTML space, I think. I'm not yeah. really the deep knowledge person yes. there, but you have like the flex box that basically, I think what it does is like, you wrap things in a flex view and it will see how much space is there. And then whenever it runs out of space uh, horizontally, it will just put the next item on the next row,
1: basically. That's that's how it works, right? It's officially called the flex layout, though. But oh, other than flex that. Layout.
0: Okay, okay. Okay. Well...
1: Yeah, yeah. But
2: I mean, the, the flex layout, thank you. I, I can never remember that name. It's always the flex something, which I know is wrong. Uh, but so the flex layout no i i know that it was um it was promoted a couple of years ago i think months weeks i don't know time is so march 2020 and uh yeah i it's it it allows you to like put in smaller items into a, a collection and then it will overflow and you can give the direction so you can say i want to have it horizontal i want to have it vertical and you can also uh tell how the items within the flex layout should then be aligned so should they all take up equal space once they overflow and stuff like that and i think that can be a really handy control if you got uh, uh, content that is a bit dynamic and you've got different screen sizes which you have to uh, serve your content on Um, another one that comes to mind is the collection view especially the new one um, which we've gotten with Zarin Forms, uh, it, it allows you to not only make lists, uh, because I think lists are like really great on a mobile screen. You got, a, got a, Usually in portrait mode, you've got a small, narrow screen, and you can really nicely draw a list. But once you go onto a tablet, or if you uh, go into a wider form factor, you always tend to end up with a ton of white space. So usually you've got your text on the left side, and on the right side, you just got nothing. Uh, of course, this can be the other way around, depending on your locale. But I think you get the point. And so, what I really like is the the tile options that you can have with the collection views, because that, in in a sense, gives you something similar to the flex view, but just like more for collections. So you could say, I want to have uh, tiles like the good old Windows 8 tiles uh, all over my app, and they will also um, adjust dynamically depending on how much screen estate i have and i remember using the uh, the collection view back in the day on a windows 8 app and that was like really cool because if i open the app up on my uh, surface device the original rt one uh, i only got like two two rows of images but if i then open it up on my ginormous desktop computer i got then i think four or five rows and it's just like really scaled really nicely and i think having those options can can really uh, be a great um usability enhancing factor for the user because you will use the space that is available to him and he will not just have an app that in air quote works but fun thing you mentioned there before Stephen. you said you sadly never had a customer coming up to you and saying i want to have both from the start um so if you're what, what what is for you the easier way to go is it like better to go from small to large or is it better to go from large to
1: small screen sizes well, to start off, I'm not sure if I would call it sad, that I'm, that I'm sad <laughs> about that, but um, it just never happened. Starting small or large. Well, to me, in, in my case, like I said, I have the luck that I have a designer who thinks about this kind of stuff because the actual, like the, from a usability perspective, it does it does matter. Like it's it's not just make everything fit on a smaller screen and it'll be fine. Um, you, you will have to rethink elements um, if you go smaller or if you go larger. So either way, I I personally don't really have a preference because you're, you're gonna need to rethink things anyway. Um, let's say you have somewhere a menu with five options or five buttons from the start that is maybe already bad UX because you wanna force people towards the prevalent action or the, the call to action I think is what it's officially called. Um, put all the other ones in a, in a separate menu. But on a bigger device, obviously, you have more space to put all those buttons. And on a smaller one, you you might have just one spot for a button and and a menu. What I'm trying to say, I don't think there is a, a right answer to that question. Because you need to rethink it anyway. This is the way. This is the way. There is no way. The one of them. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that's a really, good, a really good answer. Because sometimes when I... I don't always have the luxury of working together with a designer. And so I, the poor developer... Um, Choosing fuchsia for high contrast and stuff like that. um I know I'm making bad jokes here again. Uh, sorry about that. No, but what I'm trying to say is, I then get the question: Well, if we do it for mobile, will it then scale up to the tablet form factor? And I mean, I know as much design as I can say. Well, if you go for the mobile phone and you make it, you, you take scalable controls. Chances are higher, I would say, that it will then work on the tablet, but it will not look really nice on the tablet. It's like works on my machine uh if you go from a large device down to a small device you might run into more problems that things start to drop over one each another and that might be bigger problems but i think Stephen, you said it before uh if you go from one form factor to the other usually what you end up doing is testing it so i would never just rubber stamp my app and say i made it for the mobile phone factor it will be just fine on the tablet because it can be that at some point you cheated just that wee little bit to make it work on your mobile app and you put in absolute positions and then you open the thing up on your tablet and that absolute position comes to haunt you because it just doesn't work as you thought it would. And I think those are always things that you have to keep in the back of your mind when you change between these states, but it can be done.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So then that comes back to testing, right? So then you suddenly have by basically like two complete apps to test. I mean functional, they're going to do the same thing probably, you know, because the code behind it is all the same. Uh but you know from the outside there's a lot of changes and things going on. So it's really um, um you know important to actually test those two form factors, or all of them, if you have more. But yeah, that's interesting. And uh, th- this is a while back, actually, where we're still talking about like the iOS apps on MacBooks and that kind of stuff. I think what they might do, but I'm not actually sure on it, is you know just optimize the little bits just render the button a little bit different on the MacBook than it is on actual iOS. Um, and if you you know look at like macOS and iOS, they have a lot of the same concepts already with like the buttons going back and forward and the side panels in your I use the mail app, the stock mail app that's in there. Um, so you can hide and, and show that one. And if you look at that one, it's just like the exact same list to you that you see on iOS as well. Uh, the only thing is on on your small mobile screen um, you just press a email uh, message and it will drill down full screen to that email message. But in your mail app, it just shows on the right. So there's already a lot of concepts going on there. And I think in the background under the hood, they've already been working on this for a long, long time. And that is probably the key why it's um, yeah working um, quite good on the MacBook uh, as it is today. A lot of people are surprised also about their own apps that they uh, don't have to change anything and suddenly it runs on. On the MacBook as well, so that's pretty cool. Um, I should stop talking about M1s and MacBooks because it feels like to people that we are being sponsored by all of this. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe I'm just trying hey. to get this sponsored deal out. Of <laughs> and send us some of this stuff. Um, anyway, I think we've talked enough about responsive mobile design. Anything that we can come up with, um, is there stuff that you can come up with that we haven't touched upon? Touch that is funny because we are talking about mobile design and touching. UI elements, um, then please let us know on Twitter at nopointers_io, And we have been your hosts Gerald Schluis, Mark Alibon, and Steven Davis. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, which can be Spotify, Stitcher, just on our website. We don't do have? Oh, we have an RSS feed. So, you know, if you're old school, do that RSS feed thing. Ding that bell. Click like. Oh, no, wait. And now I'm confusing things. Okay. (laughs) Just subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe. And until next week on No Pointers.